0: Hey friends, real quick, I wanted to let you know about two opportunities to work with me. One, I am starting a story group in January, 2024. Spots are limited to five people, so run. Two, I have openings coming up for couples intensives. Couples intensives are perfect for the couple that's looking to resolve a pattern they're stuck in. Visit my website at courageousstepscounseling.com. I have been probably writing my
1: personal narrative since I was in second grade, since I could get a hold of a pen and a pencil and put words to my experience. But, you know, when you're, when you're seven, you don't when you are know what I'm doing right now is processing trauma. When you start touching around on the edges of trauma narratives, you're touching death, you're touching shame, you're touching terror, you're touching humiliation. Um, like it's an existential crisis.
0: Welcome to the Phoenix Effect podcast with L, Kristen, and Dennis. We are three narrative trained therapists and we will be interviewing storytellers from all walks of life. Listen in as we hear the stories behind the stories of what people do to find belonging, purpose, and success. Stay tuned until the end to find out how to become a part of the show and to hear an important disclaimer about the difference between this podcast and what we do as therapists. Uh, welcome, Laura. Thank you, it's so nice to be here with you. Uh, could you tell our listeners a little bit about where you are in the world and what you like to do when you're there? Yes,
1: yeah, so uh, my name's Laura Kelly. I am a story work coach. I live in Charlottesville, Virginia. I have three kids. We just entered into the teenage years. So i um, almost 14, almost 11, and almost four. So I do a lot of carpooling. That's one of my many things that I do. Um, I also write music and play music, write poetry, hang out with my family. Those are some of the things that I do in Charlottesville where I think this life stage is very um, active. There's a lot of activities. So there's a lot of moving parts and just sort of hanging on with each other as we ride through this life stage with kids and stuff. So
0: I feel you on that Uber driver thing, except they don't pay me, (laughs) right? It's a whole thing. Um, It is. So it sounds like for yourself, you like music. How do you write it? And what do you play of of an instrument if you do that?
1: Yeah. So I play guitar. I can play some piano, a little ukulele, and I write. I primarily was a vocalist. So most of the music that I write starts vocally, just the way that I sing tunes and I studied creative writing, um, short fiction and poetry in college. So a lot of my songwriting comes out of those influences. And I'm actually going to release the record next year. I was just in Nashville a couple of weeks ago recording with Jeremy Casella. He's a musical artist in in Nashville. So that's a big part of how what I do vocationally um, as a storywork coach has been a lot of spoken a lot to my work as a musician and an artist as well.
0: That's really exciting. What's it called if it
1: has a name yet? It does not have a name yet. I am waiting for it to tell me what the name is. So I have huh. two more songs to record. And I think when they all are done and I listen to them in order, then I'll, I'll have a sense um, of what, you know, when it's inviting me to call it. So we'll see.
0: Right. That makes so much sense. And so it sounds very storied, if you will, the the writing process of a song.
1: Yes, yeah. It's this this record at least for me has been the first time that I have just allowed myself to write whatever comes to me without any sort of judgment or assessment or will this be good? Will people like it? Will do, will it have commercial success? Like, you know, none of that, just what am I noticing in my body? What am I noticing in my heart? What am I noticing in the present moment? And how would I put words um, and music to that and let that be enough for the time? So it's been fun.
0: Yeah. So now I'm curious, It sounds like story has been very much a part of your vocation since college. You said you did creative writing there. So maybe kind of walk me through how all of that kind of led to doing like story group work vocationally.
1: Yeah. So I started doing story work in the way that we kind of understand it in narrative form, like writing, writing a particular explicit memory in those developing years from one to 18 and within like a thousand word, you know, container and bringing that to someone else to bear witness, to hear, to hold space for. I started doing that work in 2016 when I applied for the Allender Center to do their, their program that was then called the lay counseling certificate program. And that was the first time that I had with awareness brought a story and invited other people to engage with it, knowing that it was not fiction, that it was, it was fact. Um, And so why do I say that? Because as I've, as I've done this work and reflected back, I've realized that I have been probably writing my personal narrative since I was in second grade, since I could get a hold of a pen and a pencil and put words to my experience, but you know when you're when you're seven, you don't know what I'm doing right now is processing trauma, right? It's just um it's more fluid. There's not that meaning making to what it is that you're doing. so so I just say that to say, um, doing this work has helped me create a little bit more coherency um and to notice that. Um, I think, as people where we, even without awareness are are finding ways to express and move through um some of the pain and harm that we experience, even if we don't know that that's what we're doing. It's kind of a a very human and animal thing to do, so
0: right, okay, so you're you're doing a lot of creative fiction work um up until twenty sixteen, and then something pulled you into the Allender Center. Yeah. So I, I was doing
1: like, if I, if I think back on the second grade story that I told you about, I, I, when I was young, I was at a friend's house and I was exposed to the movie It by Stephen King. What a terrifying film for a child, uh, especially I was really imaginative. So that just replayed in my mind over and over again. I would go to school and I would go to the restroom and I could just see the blood. There's like a blood bubble in in one of the sinks that pops in the movie. And I just would sit there and just be like, oh my gosh, is the clown gonna get me? And she had, our teacher had us writing. And at that age, they you know, they were helping us write, um, like at the bottom of the paper, I don't know if you remember, it's like a couple of lines. And then at the top there's pictures. And so you like form a narrative, you've got the picture and you've got the the writing. And so I wrote a story about it in quotes, um, going to a friend's house, um, being afraid trying to figure out what it was, in quotes, being in a tree house. It's basically my friend's house. I've just rewritten the entire narrative. But at the end, um, I wrote a better ending. So it ended up being my friend's brother. And he just was trying to scare us. And it was all fine in the end.
0: But that's a trauma narrative, you know? And wow, really articulate for such a young girl to be able to write. That's amazing.
1: I mean, I don't know. If I went back and write the sentences, maybe they're probably, you know, uh, appropriate for that age level. But I remember realizing, oh my gosh, I've been processing trauma through writing for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in sixth grade, they invite you to write. And I think, I think kids are doing this. I think they're doing this in school. There's a beautiful film, very hard to watch called the Tale, and it's, has Laura Dern in it. And it's all about her coming to realize, um, her sexual abuse through writing that she that she comes in contact with later as an adult and kind of connecting the impact of what had happened to her and seeing it from an adult perspective instead of a, like the meaning making we do as children for for those things. So anyway, so I've been writing that all the way through. And in college, I wrote and it was, you know, uh, probably would be considered creative nonfiction. Um, but it was just what I knew to do. To help me sit with the truth of of my story, considered therapy. You know, it's it's sort of getting into that place where I could totally. I had a huge capacity to hear um, uh, the harms that other people had experienced, but I did not have any training or understanding of what to do once I had heard it. And so, coming to the Allender Center in in 2016 and sitting with trauma narratives, all of a sudden. I realized oh there's so much more this is such a layered process to to be able to ask questions to be able to sit with someone's grief to know that sometimes all someone needs you to do is to be able to name their story accurately and to feel relief even if it even if the naming of it is disruptive that um it's a very to have someone look at you and say that was sexual abuse when you've been um, thinking of yourself as, you know, some of the languaging that people come in when they've had that is like, I, you know, I was promiscuous or I was this or I was that. And to have it named accurately creates so much relief while at the same time finally allows them to grieve what has, what true, what is the truth, what really has happened. So it's been tremendously helpful. Um, but very disruptive. You know, the first year you're like, <laughs> right? "What am I doing?"
0: Yes, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You go to those weekends, like, wait, I feel like I've gotten hit by a truck. What just happened here? <laughs> yeah, but in the in the best way. Like, let's go do yes. that again, right? Yes. <laughs> there, there's nothing like it.
1: Uh, it, it feels. I would come home and I was like, I feel like I. Like I saw the face of God. I felt like Moses coming down the mountain, like my face was shining and I had touched something of, of what it meant to be close to the veil, if you will. Mm-hmm. And to see just a little bit around it, like, oh, this is what's possible for us as people if we're willing to uh, allow ourselves to be with, with death and and then to... um be with the reality of resurrection
0: as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Super hard to do. It sounds like you come from a faith community and that's been an important part of the experience is going through the death part, which I think a lot of people in the faith community, like, they don't really want to do that. Right? Like, let's just kind of remember the resurrection and the goodness. And that kind of limits their ability to heal. Yeah. Well, and I mean, in general,
1: death is incredibly painful, like the whole process of being with shame. I mean, you're when you start touching around on the edges of stored trauma narratives, you're touching death. You're touching shame. You're touching terror. You're touching humiliation. You're touching um, like it's an existential crisis. I think sometimes, uh, and so it, it's for very good reason. We don't we don't want to do it. It's you know, it's not like we're inviting people like come have cotton candy with me. It's like no <laughs> come feel a lot of pain let's do this you know yeah but um and Rachel Clinton Chen says this and this is from my grandmother's hands Resma says this it's um there's you know the different kinds of pain that we experience there's dirty pain which is that resistant pain and then there's clean pain the pain that actually when you move through it um allows for greater healing and so I think that's what the Allender Center and StoryWork invites people to is to process through it and to feel supported and, and have a different experience of what it means to feel pain in the presence of someone else's compassion and
0: love, um, and strength too. So. Uh, Tell me more about that. Like what that feels like when you're sharing pain in the presence of another, what have you witnessed either for yourself or with other people? Yeah, I think it's, deeply moving
1: it it changes your neurobiology you know it it repatterns things that you know, I mean we're sort of talking about attachment, but if you you know depending on your attachment style, I mean it's it can create a sense of earned secure attachment so which is incredibly settling to a body. and you know i I was in a um a group setting and I was, I was feeling those sense of that sense of being activated and my trauma response or, you know, come from, coming from my story would have typically been to get out, to get out of there. Like if I'm going to, you know, in quotes, lose my shit, I definitely shouldn't do it in front of other people. It's going to be deeply humiliating for me to bring my tears and then, and then I'll have shame added to that. And so it would just be better if I found a quiet place by myself and I could just, um, you know, have my tears there, which is just going to leave me um, alone and add despair to that. So when I'm sitting there and I'm allowing my tears to come in the presence of a kind, compassionate witness, and they are able to attune to my face and say something like, I'm noticing there's tears, could we pause? Would it be okay if we just paused for a minute? And how would it feel if someone put their hand on your shoulder or what, what would it feel like if maybe you just touched knees with the person next to you and just notice what it feels like to have support, that you're not gonna be left or humiliated That is profound, right? Just having moments like that can change everything, I think, for a person's body and mind
0: and experience. So I agree. It's hard to even describe how much can shift in your body in those moments. It's like you kind of have to go through it for yourself. But I'm right there with you. Something crazy happened.
1: Yeah. Well, it's physical. I mean, it's inside the body. It's a physiological response. It's just, I think for, for most of us, we spend so much time kind of in our cognitive space and very little that sort of that Gnostic sort of, you know, disembodied um, the flesh is bad you know, the spirit is good. Uh, I don't even know what that means sometimes. I'm like, <laughs> what does that mean for you? Tell me. You know, um, instead of noticing like what's inside that uh, feelings are not, they are as physical. Uh, to have, you know, to have emotional disruption is as physical. To have trauma is, to have, to have a traumatic experience is, impactful to your brain. It's impactful to your kidneys, to your adrenals, to all of your internal organs. It's in your tissue, it's in your guts. Um, so it's not a non-physical thing. It's just that we don't spend a lot of time there, I think as a culture. And we're I think we're doing more of that now, which is so good. But typically it's like, if you can't, if it's not a sentence in your mind, it doesn't count as existing somehow or something. I don't know how you hear that, but
0: and you mentioned the body, and it sounds like you do a lot of body work with your clients. Um, can you tell me about that? Yeah. So I, yeah, I spend
1: time helping people uh, develop resiliency. And by that, I just mean the capacity to feel big feelings and uh, without um, spinning out or without collapsing. So without, becoming super dysregulated in a way that they feel like they lost a hold of themselves or like the present moment. And it just kind of feels like they're activated all over the place, um, which is not good for it. It's like That would be considered more re-traumatizing or, um, you know, collapsing would be just kind of falling into despair or numbness and not being able to feel anything. So to be in your window of presence or your window of tolerance um, and to develop the capacity to stay there in the midst of difficult things is is I think in a lot of ways well-being. Like it's just so important for our bodies. So I help people develop that by teaching them um, about emotions, how to be with emotions, how to process them, how to receive support, um, how to do different exercises to um, get outside of your head um, to get out of the thinking space and just into the body. There's a lot of ways that we can support our body. If we just think of, if we think of it in the same way you would think of, if I have a broken arm, you know, I'm going to go get an x-ray. And then if it's really broken, I'm going to put a cast on it. And then after I get a cast and they take it off, we're going to do physical therapy and we're going to work through how to do it. Body is the same way. Trauma is the same way. So um, so that's so that's some of the work that I I do with people because I think it's so important and it's storied what you feel in your body, the emotions that you have in your body come from your story. So you can't just engage a story from a cognitive level with with just insight. You have to be willing to be with the body that moved through that story and help that body um, recover from the terror, from the powerlessness, from the shame. Um, and that can't just be done by thinking about it. It has to be done by experiencing something different and new in the presence of another person. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that's one of the harder skills that I've kind of been pushed to develop with the Allender Center. They call it becoming embodied. Um, Mm -hmm. For the sake of our audience, um, would you feel comfortable giving an example of what that could look like, like a, a sensation in your body that's actually storied and is trying to tell you something about your story?
1: Yes. So where do you struggle to um, ask for help? (laughs) Just think about for a second. If you are needing something and what would it feel like if you just went to someone and said, I need help. I need help with this. What does that bring up for you? And can you notice what that feels like in your body to consider asking someone for help? Um, What if you have... Um, something you've always wanted to do and you've never been able to do it, but it's something that you, you know, you want to do if you decided, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it by this date. And then I'm going to share it with my friends and family, or maybe on social media. What do you feel in your body? (laughs) And you think about that. (laughs) Is it terror? Is it panic? Is it dread? Is it awkwardness? Is it inadequacy, right? All of that comes from your story. How were your creative endeavors handled? What what was it like? Did your mom give you her face when you brought something that you created to her? What did it look like for you to ask for help when you were coming through? Was help available to you? Um, And if you asked, did they meet you with delight? I would love to help you. Tell me what you need for support. Or was it like, ah, you're so needy. just taking so much from me. Right. So you can notice if you're in the presence of a parent where you're desperate, you already have desperation in your body. You already have anxiety in your body. And then you bring that to a parent and you ask for help. And what you're met with is their contempt, Mm -hmm. their disdain, their annoyance, their irritability, how that's going to add shame. And so as an adult, Everything you're you're going to reorient yourself as a young person around avoiding being shamed and humiliated, which means you're going to figure out everything you need to do to avoid ever having to ask anyone for help because your body will be anticipating something of what it experienced in your family system by coming to you, Elizabeth, or going to the Allender Center. Like that's a that's a way we ask for help. Um getting support, learning how to practice that and be with the feelings and have a different experience.
0: I think it's really hard to make those connections of, I have a feeling and it's actually started in my body. It's such a backwards way to think about it. Um, I think often clients will tell me, I, I don't feel anything. And so developing that practice of just really pausing to get back to yourself, it takes a lot of practice. And I love how you kind of um, gave the prompt of asking for help. Because I think we all have so much experience with resistance to need. And I think that's the perfect place to kind of try to locate something. Because even as you kind of talk about that, like I starting to clench up, like my throat wants to close up, (laughs) right? Like, oh no, that's, that's the worst. Um, And so, but if I'm, if I'm with that feeling of tightness or my throat's closing up, the question becomes, well, how early does this go?
1: And so you might ask yourself, like, is this familiar? And if I sit with it long enough, what explicit memories come forward to me? Um, and sometimes that can come forward. But I'll just say my husband loves to ask for help. We're that, va- you know, he just loves it. He will ask anyone for help. And I just look at him sometimes and I'm like, help. I want that. Tell me, tell me, what is it? What do you feel in your body when you're asking for help? I would like to be brought along into that somatic experience of he anticipates, like he thinks to himself, I can get help. People want to help me. Um, I expect that they're excited to help me. I love to help other people, right? He just has such a different patterning in his own mind. And so that's how I know asking for help itself is not actually a problem. Like in terms of it's objectively neutral, it's what, what our bodies hold
0: in the story of that asking. Right. It's so nuanced and it's so particular
1: to Listen. every person,
0: but it is interesting how we, we seem to match up with these people. Right. <laughs> Cause he stresses me out all the time. Every he's asking
1: for help. I'm like,
0: stop it. Stop asking for help. <laughs> right. And so, but like both of our responses again, is storied, right? It's so particular yes. and dumb. And so what would you say to audience members who have never done any story work? Why, why would they be curious about that? Um, I would just
1: check in. Like, what do you, what do you, I think the Mary Oliver poem is so beautiful. Like, what do you want to do with your one wild and precious life? What do you notice in the life that you're in right now? What's working? What's not working? Where would you like um, to feel growth, to feel movement? Do you have access to vitality? what do you, what's your sort of felt sense as you move through the world? Is it dread? Is it fear? Is it desperation? Um, What is your reactivity to your kids, to your spouse, uh, to your job? All of those things, I think the answers to those things lie in story work and story work can help support you if you want to shift and become and grow and I think that's such a beautiful invitation. I really think it invites people into more life, which can be really scary, um, but but totally
0: worth it. Um, let's say I'm having reactivity with one of my children. And let's say like, this is very hypothetical. Laura, if I were to find a child <laughs> past their bedtime in their room and they had maybe snuck some electronics in there and they were like doing whatever they wanted on said device and I were to feel something big, in my body and I would start to have a reaction that you're telling me, Laura, that's a storied reaction. And that could give me a lot of uh, fuel, a lot of um, places to work to figure out, well, what's actually happening. It might not just be um, that my child is sneaking electronics. There could be more to what's happening here. Oh yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Just <laughs> I mean, hypothetically. Right. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know of, people that go through that at all. Um, no, definitely not. But it's it's not really a case to maybe judge myself and my reactions. I mean, I could. Um, or your kid. Or, or your kid. Right. They could be like this bad kid. Um, but let's say I wanted to k- maybe just not see them as a bad kid and maybe want to be curious about my reactions so I don't have to keep doing that. If I wanted to maybe think of another way to interact with this child, um, another way to be with myself afterwards and not feel the shame of flipping out. Story work. Story okay. work will, will get
1: you there. Uh, it'll at least give you some footing when you're standing in the doorway with your child and you can see the glowing light underneath their blanket. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then you might be able to pause instead of react and and then think and keep yourself grounded and steady and calm so you're... Responding from an adult self instead of a younger part of self. Um, yeah, or or responding in a way that's reflective of what was modeled to you. How are you handled? How are your parents engaged with your heart and body? Yeah,
0: yeah. for sure. I love that. I love that invitation. So good. Um, <laughs> yeah. is, there, is there anything else that you would like our audience to know about you, the kind of work you do, the things that you offer as far as music or services, anything at all? Yeah, sure. I, yeah. So I work, I'm a one-to-one
1: coach. I work primarily with individuals, um, see clients weekly. I do more of a programmatic approach. So I work with people um, in three to four month chunks. I just give that window because, you know, kids get sick. So we're not always meeting every week. Um, And I teach people about story work. I help them engage with their story, do life coaching, and also help them support their body so they can show up the way they want to. And I also have a podcast called the Storied Living Podcast. Um, Season two will be out next year, early next year. And I'm a musician, so you can find me on Spotify or iTunes or YouTube, any of the places where you can stream music. So thank you so much for having
0: me. It's been so fun. It's been a delight to talk to you. I look forward to finding your music and listening to all the pods. And that's where we end today. We are so glad you joined us. We want to invite you to get involved in the show. First, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. That way, you don't miss out on a future episode. Second, if you'd like to learn more about joining us and sharing your story, send us an email at phoenixeffectpodcast at gmail.com. That's phoenixeffectpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. This podcast and website represents the opinions of Elizabeth Key, Kristen Boskel john and Dennis Roberts, and their guests to the show and website content here should not be taken as medical or psychological advice. This content is for informational purposes only, and because each person is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own, and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a therapist-client relationship.